Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know me, I'm Todd Erickson. I'm an elder here at PV, and I get the privilege of bringing you the message today because uh, Charles is at Winter Whitewash in Laramie. We're going to continue in this series, The Life of David, A Man After God's Own Heart. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit in there, but that's basically where we'll be if you want to open to that. This is the story of David and Goliath. I'm kind of excited about this. I love the story of David and Goliath. Everybody, everybody in the world knows the story of David and Goliath. Even non-Christians know the story of David and Goliath. It's kind of a quintessential underdog story. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we look at history and Americans love underdog stories. In, uh, in the 70s, if you remember when Rocky came out, number one at the box office. Very simple story. And he even lost the fight. <laughs> you know, and then later, I think it was in the 80s that the Karate Kid came out. It was number five in the box office. Those are all Hollywood's versions. There are a lot, though. There are a lot of stories, actual stories of underdogs. One of my favorite is about a, a young man by the name of Brandon Bullsworth. Brandon Bullsworth was a kid in Arkansas. And when he was growing up, his dream was to play for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And uh, he was a heavy kid. And his brother kept teasing him, there's no way you're ever going to make it. Called him Cheesecake, because he liked his cheesecake. <laughs> and so <clears throat> he went through uh, Pee Wee League, he went through high school, never really did anything outstanding. So he walked on at Arizona, and the, he was an offensive lineman. And the lineman coach uh, said, well, you know, we got to cut you. There's no way you're going to be part of the team. And he said, oh, you can't cut me. He said, I need to play for the Razorbacks. And the <clears throat> gentleman liked his attitude in the overall. So he brought him on as a walk-on to play on the practice team. So he always played the opposing, the opposing team. And the first day, or actually when he left, from the tryouts, he said, what do I need to do, coach, to make the team? And he said, well, you need to put on some weight. Well, Brand Brandon didn't understand that. <laughs> he came back at the start of camp. He weighed 320-some pounds, and it was all fat. And everybody just harassed him constantly. And the coach looked at him and said, are you Brandon? <laughs> he wasn't even sure. And he said, yeah. He goes, that's not what I meant. And he asked the coach, he said, Coach, i got to make the team. What do I need to do? And he said, well, first of all, you need to drop about 80 pounds. And then you need to put back on muscle. So he worked hard. He dropped 80 pounds. He put back on muscle. And he said, Coach, I need a, a scholarship. The coach said, walk-ons don't get scholarships. He worked so hard that first year. Now, this was the lineman coach. He worked so hard that first year, the head coach noticed him and gave him a scholarship for year two. 
Now, during those years, it was in the late 90s, Arkansas was terrible. They were at the bottom of the SEC, of their division in the SEC. And uh, came around junior year and he said, Coach, what do I need to do to get drafted? And he said, Brandon, you're not going to get drafted. You play for the, wor the worst team in the S SEC. Who's going to notice you? And besides that, you realize that the head coach was fired and there'll be a new head coach coming on this year, this next year. And new coaches always bring in their own people. And so Brandon spent that summer, work, got together a bunch of his teammates and said, hey, if you guys want to make it to the NFL, this is what we got to do. And he started working out with them. And he started doing things with them. And when the new coach came in, he said, coach, I know this is a building year. And I know we haven't proved anything to this point. Let us do it. Let us prove it. He, in that year, he, t he turned the team around. Even the coach said it was more Brandon than me. He turned the team around. They tied for the SS SEC championship, and he was in the news almost every weekend because of what he was doing, and he was drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. What is more impressive about this kid is in the four years he went to school, he got his master's degree in business administration in four years. What's even more impressive is he and the coach had a little Bible study, and in the beginning, two, three people. By the end, the house was full. That's how much he had uh, inspired his team. His roommate said every morning... He woke up at 5 o'clock, he prayed, he read his Bible, and every night he studied until he couldn't study any longer. Unfortunately, he was killed 11 days before he signed on with the Colts in a car accident. A semi-truck crossed the line and front-ended him. But he is a true life underdog story but <clears throat> when I look at David's story David's story is different David's story to me is not an underdog story David's story is about a young man that stood tall because he believed that God was behind him and with him in everything that he did he followed God in doing whatever God wanted him to do. Let's pray. Oh, glorious Father, we come before you now, Father, and I just pray that you help me to bring your word, to bring the meaning that you express within your word, Father, for us, to help us see, to help us understand what it means to be children of God, what it means to follow you. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. So let's start off looking at the preparation of David. We know from last week that uh, Charles had brought up in, in chapter 16 that David as a young man was anointed by God. Samuel came to the town. He anointed David to be the next king. So he was prepped to be the next king. Let's look at 1 Samuel 16, 13. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So what was David's preparation? The Spirit of the Lord was with him. It was at that point that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. And the Spirit of the Lord came into David. And David had the Spirit of the Lord from that point on. David, we see later in 16, that David would even go to Saul. And he'd play the harp. Because Saul was being oppressed by an evil spirit. And David would play the harp and it'd make Saul feel better. But in his off hours, David was a shepherd. And so how does being a shepherd prepare you for war? Well, we're going to skip over to 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 36. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him. It out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. So, he had taken on lions and bears by this point. Bears, pretty, pretty good size, I would say, as is a lion. And you got to think about this. How old was David? There's some debate on exactly how old he was. We know he was under 20, and the reason we know that is 20 years old is when you can go into the military. And we know David wanted to be in the military, but he wasn't in the military. They feel that uh, because of his brothers, remember he had seven brothers, because of his brothers, the top three the three oldest were in the military so they figure if the if the youngest was in the military in 20 david's going to be somewhere between 13 and 15 years old all we know for sure is he was under 20 he was a teenager and he was under 20 and one of the biggest things that david had going for him was first samuel 17 26 part b for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David was not happy with the way Goliath was taunting Israel. David got upset. He couldn't believe that his brothers, that Saul, would allow Goliath to do what he was doing. Why is nobody going out there and fighting him? What is the deal here? So he had the mindset to take on Goliath. Let's look at Goliath. 1 Samuel 17.4 And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Okay, so we look at this six cubits in a span. There's some debate on really how tall this is. Well, we, I looked up and in recorded history, so just in America, in recorded history, the tallest man was a guy by the name of Robert Wadlow. 
you see him standing here next to his father. Robert Wadlow was 8 feet 11 inches. He's a tall boy. His dad standing next to him there is, uh, is 5'11". And we see that the average American male in 2022, his height is 5'9". Okay. Now there's, there's some debate on was Goliath truly this tall? There's a lot of debate. And they say he's anywhere from 6'9 to 9'9". But uh, David was five foot. He was thought to be five foot tall. So even if he's six nine, that's a foot nine inches bigger. Saul was said to be somewhere around six, maybe six five. So tall was pretty. Saul was pretty big in himself. That's why I kind of think that Goliath was probably over six nine. The average height of the male in that day was 5'5". Five, five. So David had, or I'm sorry, uh, Goliath, preparation, he had the size. He was big. And let's look at 1 Samuel 17, 5-7. And we see that Goliath had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. So he came out pretty impressive. He's wearing about 125 pounds of armor. And he's got a shield, he's got a sword, he's got a javelin, he's got a spear. David has a sling and some stones. But equally important, we look at 1 Samuel 17.33. Saul says to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. So not only was he a big man, but he was trained to be a warrior from his youth. So that sets the scene. So let's go to the more exciting part, the battle. We're going to be in uh, chapter 17, 36 through 51. Let's start with 36 and 37. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. This is David speaking. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So David looks at this man, and he doesn't care. He doesn't see what everybody else is seeing and trembling from. He has been in situations that God has been behind him. And he knows that in this situation, that God will be there. And we see him, he never said anything about what he can do, what David himself can do. All he talks about is what God is going to do. God has done this. I know that he will keep his promise. I know that God does not like what the Philistines are doing to his people. I know that he will be there. I know that he will be behind me. 
no matter what as he goes into the fray. Verses 38-39. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. This is very typical of what we do. Somebody is having a problem, we try to fix it. Saul stepped up and said, hey, look, it, you've got to have this armor. Put this on, put this on. Here's a sword. You need this. You're going to need this going into battle against this guy. You can't do it without this. But David put it on, started moving around, said, yeah, this isn't going to work. You know, I didn't have this in the past when I faced the bear and the lion. I didn't have all this stuff on me. I need to be free to move how I move. And he said, you know, this is, this is man's addition. This is not God's addition. I need to go as God intended me to go. And so he renounced the armor of Saul, and he decided to move forward with God only. Verse 40, he says, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Whenever I first read this, I wondered, why five stones? He's depending on God. Why not just one stone? Why not just take one stone? He knows that that's all he's going to need, so why not just take one? There's some thoughts on this. My thought is you don't go into anything unprepared. We've got to have in ourselves what God is going to need to use. We don't go unprepared. We go into everything. We learn that in the business world. We learn that in life. You go into everything as prepared as you can be. Some of the commentators feel that it was because Goliath had four brothers. And so if David had killed Goliath, when he kills Goliath, those four brothers may be coming for him. Any way you look at it, if he went with one stone, God would do it. I think that it's just David wanted to be prepared for whatever may come about. We know that no matter how prepared we are, we still need to have faith that God is going to come through in the end anyway. Verses 41 and 44, the Philistines moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, his dis he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the, to the beasts of the field. Goliath looked at David, and he thought, What is this? Are they kidding? He had absolutely no fear in this. And as a matter of fact, he insults all of Israel. He said, What do you think I, I am, a dog? Well, you know, when you look at that word in the Hebrew... It's Kalib. 
K-A-L-E-B, Kaleb. And in actuality, we see it in Deut- Deuteronomy used at, in the form of, of how it should be used rather than just a statement like that. And it is actually used to describe a male homosexual prostitute. And so, so in that day, this was an insult. What do you think I am? A dog? That you come at me, this little tiny guy, boy, comes to me carrying a stick? What is the deal with that? Very insulting for him. And at that point, he cursed David. He cursed Israel. He cursed God. And we know at that point, the war was over. The battle, I should say, was over. The battle was over. He lost at that point because of his attitude toward David, toward God. Verses 45 to 47, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, cut off your head, And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with spear and with sword. For the battle is the Lord, and He will give into our hand. You know, you'd note David's boldness in here. The boldness of his statement. But we see by his words that he was bold in God. He said, God will deliver you. God will show that he is the true God. He did not say that that he would do that. And most importantly, that God will let all of Israel and all the world know who he is through this battle. And the battle is the Lord's. Verses 48 and 49, When the Philistine arose and came and drew to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Goliath approached in a normal walk, but David ran to meet him. And in one blow, it was over. And Goliath lay face down. You know, it's kind of interesting. Goliath laid face down. When you look back in Samuel, it's kind of interesting because Goliath's God was Dagon. And if we look back in Samuel, in the early portions of 1 Samuel, we see the struggle with Dagon. They take the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant. They take it into Dagon's temple. And what happens? The, the uh, statue of Dagon falls face down. 
So they go in there and they put the statue back up, and the next day it's face down again. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Goliath fell face down. I don't know if there's any tie up there, but it's, it's an interesting side note. Um, <clears throat> the point is, is, is Goliath fell with one rock. When you look at, at the men during those times and their ability to sling a rock, it is said that some of those men were so good that they could hit a bird in flight with their stone. And that if they could see it, they could hit it. Now, I don't know how good David was. you got to figure if he was 19, how much practice did he really have? You know, hard to say how, how good he was, but it doesn't matter. Because we know in the long run, the, the portion of that is that God saw to it that the stone sunk deep into Goliath's skull. And Goliath fell to the ground unconscious. So in these last verses, 50 to 51, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. David took Goliath's sword and cut his head off with his own sword. You know, this is, in, in battle, this is kind of the ultimate, we are, we are stronger than you. Because not only did he kill Goliath, but he did it with Goliath's sword. And David, at this point, begins his military career which I won't get into. We'll, we'll cover that later. But the point of this story is not how brave and how talented of a warrior David is. David was so attuned to God. David was so with God that God was able to use him to bring the Israelites back to God and to show the world that they followed the one true God. Let's look at Hebrews 11, 32 through 44 and the author of Hebrews says and what more shall I say for time shall fall me or fail me excuse me time shall fail me to tell of Gideon Barak Samson Japheth of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. God does not choose us because of our talent, because of our abilities. He chooses us because of our love and desire for Him to do His work. You look at it. The apostles, fishermen, were set up to bring about the first church. When we look at this story, it's not an underdog story. This is not about a young man who by his will took on Goliath and defeated him. This is a story about a young man who by 
the love of God was given the Spirit of God to do God's work. David was but a tool in this situation. It has nothing to do with the fact that he was an underdog. It has to do with the fact that God is more powerful than anything that exists on this earth. You know, we look at America today. Israel in that day was under attack spiritually by the Philistines. Today, America is under attack. We look at things that are going on in our world today. We have communism. We have the uh, gender identity thing and so many more. I'm not going to go through all that. We all know what's going on. We can't be like Israel and stand in fear taking the assault. Our church members are being attacked with apathy. The idea of gender identity has come into the church. Adultery, I, idolatry, idolatry, and so many more other sins. Those are our Goliaths. Max Lucado wrote a book called uh, Facing Your Giants. And this is, this is a little long, bear with me, but he, uh, I like the way he presents this. The slender, beardless boy kneels by the brook. Mud moistens his knees. Bubbling water cools his hand. Where, were he to notice, he could study his handsome features in the water, hair the color of copper, tanned sanguine skin, and eyes that steal the breath of Hebrew maidens. He searches not for his reflection, however, but for rocks, stones, smooth stones, the kind that stack neatly in a shepherd's leather sling flat rocks that balance heavily on the palm and missile with comet crashing force into the head of a lion, a bear, or in this case, a giant. Goliath stares down from the hillside. Only disbelief keeps him from laughing. He and his Philistines heard and have rendered their half of the valley into a forest of spears. A growling, bloodthirsty gang of hoodlums boasting do-rags, B.O., and barbed wire tattoos. Goliath towers above them all, nine feet, nine inches tall in his stocking feet, wearing 125 pounds of armor and snarling like the main contender at a Worldwide Wrestling Federation Championship night. He wears a size 20 collar, a 10 and a half hat, and a 56-inch belt. His biceps burst, thigh muscles ripple, and both belch through the the canyon this day i defy the ranks of israel give me a man and let us fight each other who will go mano a mano give me your best shot no hebrews volunteer until today until david david just showed up this morning he clocked out of sheep watching to deliver bread and cheese to his brothers on the battlefield That's where David hears Goliath's defining God. And that's when David makes his decision. Then he takes his staff in his hand and he chooses for himself five smooth smooth rocks from the brook and puts them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch that he has and his sling in his hand and he draws near to the Philistines. Goliath scoffs at the kid, nicknaming him Twiggy. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Skinny, scrawny David, brutish Goliath, 
the toothpick versus the tornado, the minibike attacking the 18-wheeler, the tiny poodle attacking the Rottweiler. What odds do you give David against the giant? Better odds, perhaps, than you give yourself against yours. Your Goliath doesn't carry a sword or a shield. He brandishes blades of unemployment, abandonment, sexual abuse, or depression. Your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills of Elah. He prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom. He brings bills you can't pay, grades you can't make, people you can't please, whiskey you can't resist, pornography you can't refuse, a career you can't escape, a past you can't shake, and a future you can't face. You know well the roar of Goliath. David faced one who foghorned his challengers morning and night for 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening. The Philistine giants stuttered in front of the Israel army. Yours does the same. First thought of the morning, last worry of the night. Your Goliath dominates your day and infiltrates your, your joy. This is a story of how we can or should cope in this world today. It's kind of like a parable. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that meaning is, is we have God in us. Nothing can defeat us. Are you David? Or are you one of the soldiers standing back and watching? It is time that we get in the fight. For ourselves and for our church. As the worship team comes forward, if you have not make, made a decision to follow Christ, now is the acceptable time. If you have anything on your heart that you want to bring forward and be prayed for, now is the time. Let's all stand.